All right, part three of our series working through the book of James. We're looking at how Christians are supposed to live out a faith that actually works, right? And the reason I call out Christians specifically is because James wrote his letter specifically to Christians. And so if you're not a Christian, or if you're not sure what you believe, or if you're just kind of figuring out what um, you, you believe, I'm glad you've tuned in. You're more than welcome to play along, but you're not held to this like we are. I, I think there's lots of, of helpful, practical stuff in the book of James, and I think you should apply it um, whether you believe it or not, but you aren't held to this standard like we are. Maybe the, the best illustration is, is this way. I never go to my neighbor's kids and tell them what to do, right? I, I've never shown up on my, day, my, my neighbor's doorstep and, and said, hey, um, your kids need to go to bed at 9.30. They should really take a shower and uh, stop picking on your little brother. I'd, I'd, I'd never do that. All of that may be true, but it's none of my business because they're not my kids. So one of the things I want to continually keep before us is this. When we open the scriptures... All the rules, the, the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots were given to a specific group of people that were already in a specific relationship with God. And, and I guess the primary example would be the Ten Commandments. This may come as a shock to some of you, but did you know that the Ten Commandments weren't given to everybody? They weren't given to everybody. When Moses came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, he didn't say, this is for all people of all times in the whole world. No, the, the Ten Commandments were given to the nation of Israel who already had a covenant relationship with God. And, and, and many of you know the story. God delivered them from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. He fed them. He housed them. He clothed them. He led them. He protected them. And after weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months of just giving and giving and giving and giving, God said to them, now, let me tell you how I think you should live your life. Let me give you some parameters for how to do life. And the nation of Israel went, of course we're going to do whatever you say. Look what you've done for us so far. So the Ten Commandments and, and really all of the laws of God were given to a specific group of people that already had a relationship with him. And, and so as I said, this is specifically for Christians. It's not that everybody can't do it. But there's a group of us that are supposed to do it because we are already in a relationship with God through Jesus. And that becomes really, really evident today, which is why I started with this little mini rant. Okay? Today, we're actually going to go back to uh, what we talked about in part one of this series and, and flesh it out a little bit. The bottom line for today is this. Application is what makes all the difference. Application is what makes all the difference. At the end of the day, it's what you do that matters, okay? Believing the paint looks good on the wall is a good first step. But until you begin applying it to the wall, it does you no good whatsoever. Believing is a good first step, but until you begin applying your faith, there's no difference 
in your life. And two people that camped out on this in Scripture um, are Jesus, as you would expect, and his brother, James. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, we're in James chapter 1 again today. We're going to look at uh, first at what James says about this, and at the end I want to read what Jesus says uh, about application making all the difference. So here we go. James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. He says this, Do not merely, as in only, do not only listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Now pause, pause right here. This is, this is actually pretty remarkable. This was written a couple thousand years ago, but it's so incredibly relevant today that it proves to me that the Bible is inspired. James says that there's a problem when those of us who are followers of Jesus listen to God's word, and in just listening to it, we deceive ourselves. Now, this actually happens every single week in probably every single church all around the world. In fact, it's happening right now. And in our day, as was the case 2,000 years ago, there was a sense in which people thought, you know what? If I'm listening to God's word, I should get credit. I mean, yeah, you're not in the building right now. I'm not in the building right now, but I'm on Facebook. I'm on YouTube and, and, and I, I could be playing golf, or I could be at the lake, or I could be camping with my family, but I took the time to actually physically put myself in a position to hear God's word. And I am sure God is looking down on me right now going there attending church so they get a better parking spot at the mall on Thursday. Gabriel, write it down. Better parking spot for them on Thursday at the mall. Right? We, we, we think we get credit for attending or listening or engaging in some kind of religious activity. Here, here's the other thing that happens. If you go um, to a church or if you've gone to the church in the past where the pa- pastor preaches real practical stuff, isn't it true? Like sometimes you feel bad about yourself. Okay? Show of hands. Nobody's around except for your family. Just real quick. If you've ever felt bad about yourself in church, raise your hand right now. Yeah. Show of hands. I see him. Good. Okay? It's, it's just true. It's so subtle, but we consider that a religious experience. We do. We, we think, I went to church. I felt like a terrible father. <laughs> I felt like a terrible mother, a terrible wife, a terrible husband. I'm not a very good Jesus follower at all, but I felt closer to God than I have all week. So that was a valuable religious experience. We, we do this. It's like we've made guilt synonymous with God. Like those two things are equal. And the guiltier I feel, the closer to God I feel. And nobody taught you that. There's, there's just this weird thing that sometimes happens in, in church culture. And James the brother of Jesus, says, you've deceived yourself if you think that's a good thing. You, you think there's value in something when there's absolutely no value in it at all. If all you do is listen and feel guilty and listen and feel guilty and put a few dollars in the offering and then listen and feel guilty and listen and feel guilty and go home and say, I feel so guilty. I know. Wasn't that a great service? 
James says, that's all you do. You've deceived yourself. So he says, don't do that. Do this. Do what it says. Do what it says. In the Greek, that means do what it says. Well, well but if I start doing that, it's going to mess everything up. If, if I start doing what it says, I'll have to actually make changes in my life instead of just feeling guilty all the time. If I start doing what it says, I may actually start to have a clear conscience, and I'm not even sure God will have anything to do with me then. If I, if I start doing it, I'll actually be accountable for it. And so James is going, do what it says. Application. Application. Application is what makes all the difference. And then, because he's so brilliant, James gives us one of the, just the greatest illustrations, I think, in all of Scripture. Look at this, verse 23. He says, anyone who listens, anyone who watches online, anyone who eventually comes back and sits in rows, anybody who takes notes, anybody who goes to small group or Bible study or reads it on their own, anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. You've probably already done that at least once today. Someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, in our culture, we have actual glass mirrors that are crystal clear and we can see details. But in his day, um, they didn't have glass mirrors. They had little pieces of bronze or tin, and they would polish them really, really well so there would be a semi-clear reflection. Or they'd get a, a, a bucket of water that they could peer over the side of, and if the light hit it just right, they could see a reflection of themselves in the water. That's about as good as it got in terms of a mirror for them. So, so James is saying a person that gets online, person who sits in rows and listens to what they need to do and goes, oh, wow, yeah, I need to do that. Oh, wow, I need to stop doing that. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And walks away and doesn't do anything about that. That's exactly like getting up in the morning, walking into the bathroom, looking in the mirror and going, oh, wow, I need to do something about that and then just goes on with, a, with their day. They don't do anything. They just, oh, wow, and yet moves on with their day. After about 13, you don't do that anymore, right? And in fact, I want you to think about something. For those of you, especially who are over 35, 40, think about all the money you spend to address the oh, wow, every morning. Think about all the things on your counter in your bathroom to address the oh wow every morning. You have an oh wow travel bag for whenever you go somewhere. All your hair, all your makeup, all that stuff, right? So come on, come on. When do you quit looking in the mirror in the morning? I'll tell you, I know when you quit looking in the mirror in the morning. I'll tell you. When you've got everything just the way you want it, right? When, when everything's where it's supposed to be and you look like you actually care about what you look like and there's nothing hanging, there's nothing stuck on your face, that your hair is just 
just how you like it. That's when you quit looking in the mirror in the morning. And James doesn't say this, but I think it's, I think it's implied. Some people are more committed to fixing their physical appearance than they are fixing their level of obedience. That when God's word is held up in front of your heart and you go, oh, wow, I need to work on that. Oh, wow, I need to, I need to quit doing that. Oh, wow, I need to be more disciplined in that area. Oh, wow, I need to be kinder. Oh, wow, I, yeah, I really need to forgive. Oh, I need to study harder. Oh, wow, I need to stop drinking so much. Oh, wow, I need to be a better friend. Oh, wow, I need to get out of that relationship. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. But I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to go, oh, wow. See, when Scripture talks about money or morality or relationships, marriage, the way we treat our kids, the way you honor your parents, the way you handle yourself at work, your integrity, all those things that determine the direction and quality of your soul. But you're going to be more committed to fixing your hair and makeup. You're, you're going to spend more time on your wardrobe and caring what people think about you than caring about your level of obedience. See, James is calling us out. When it comes to this, he says, come on, come on. Some of you have been carrying around the same old habits and overindulgences and lack of discipline for years. And every time it comes up, you go, yeah, I really need to work on that. Yeah, I need to quit. Yeah, I need to start. Yeah, would you just pray for me, Tim? And you give yourself credit. Because you feel closer to God because, hey, at least I'm honest. At least I'm transparent. And James says, honest and transparent or not, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself because application is what makes all the difference. It's not what you intend to do. It's, it's not what you know you ought to do. It's not even what God convicts you to do that matters. It's what you actually do that makes the difference. He's not done yet. He's going to press in even harder. He comes to my favorite part. It's a little confusing on the surface, but when you dig a little bit deeper, you see how brilliant it is. Here's what he says, verse 25. But whoever looks intently, it's, a, it's a, just a beautiful phrase. We know about looking intently more than James did. Some of you have a mirror on your counter or a mirror that's stuck on the bigger mirror in your bathroom. It's got a light around it, and it magnifies everything. Like you can see in every single little pore, you can look up your nose all the way to your brain. It's amazing. That is a look intently mirror. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, pause right there for a second. See, the sayings and stories of Jesus were floating around, but the Bible as we know it hadn't been put together yet. So what James is talking about is the Old Testament law. And here's what James says, or how he describes the Old Testament, that gives freedom 
Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. To which, to which some of you might see this or might hear this and say, wait a second, James. Like when I think about the Old Testament, when I think about the do's and the don'ts and that thou shalt and thou shalt nots, I don't think freedom at all. I think restrictive. I think I'm not going to have any fun ever. I, I, I'm going to miss out on all the exciting stuff my friends get to experience. Like when I think about applying scripture, I think about all the things I'm going to have to give up. I don't think freedom at all. And here's why I love this part. Growing up, that's what I thought about the Bible. That's, that's, again, nobody taught me that. It's just kind of what I picked up. That's what I thought. I mean, I was taught whenever I got a dollar, I was supposed to give a dime, which is fine as long as all you've got is a dollar. But then I got older and started making hundreds of dollars, and the whole idea of giving away hundreds of dollars didn't feel like freedom. It felt like somebody was taking money away from me. But I continued to do it because I believed and I was taught that this is what it looked like to apply my faith in the realm of my finances. And for the early part of my life, for the beginning part of my life, it did not feel like freedom, but it has resulted in financial freedom today. In fact, for those of you who have a bunch of debt and no margin, I'd simply ask you, do you feel financially free? Do you feel freedom in the area of your finances? Because, see, you decided you had the freedom to do whatever you wanted to do with your money. And it did not result in financial freedom, did it? It actually resulted in bondage. I was taught that, that God had things to say about sexuality and, and specifically that sex was for marriage, which is great if you're married. But as a 16, 17, 23-year-old guy, I mean, it, it's not so, it doesn't feel like freedom, especially when she smells really good and looks even better, right? And for those of you who, who bought into that and decided to manage your sexuality the way Scripture teaches, you would not have said, oh, I feel so free in this moment. No. No. You felt restricted. You felt like you were in bondage. You felt like you couldn't have any fun. But now you've been married for 10, 15, 20, 30 years to the same person. And isn't it true that applying your faith in that arena of your life resulted in freedom today? And, and for those of you who were extraordinarily sexually free through high school and college and your 20s and now you're in your 30s and your 40s, did that result in greater freedom for you? See, my guess is it actually did the opposite. It robbed you of something. Once again, James is right. He, he, he's saying God's perfect law is freedom-giving if you apply it. Not if you believe it, not if you listen to it, not even if you study it, if you apply it. 
And I follow Jesus long enough. I've been a pastor long enough. I've talked to enough people. I'm more convinced than I've ever been in my entire life that James is exactly right. Applying God's word doesn't always result in immediate freedom, but it always results in ultimate freedom. Always. Always, 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 always. Maximum peace. Maximum happiness. Maximum blessability. Maximum, you know, things are good between me and God. Maximum freedom, regardless of the circumstances that you face. Maximum freedom is found within the context of what our faith says we should do. Application makes all the difference in our lives. At at the end of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. We didn't look at this part um, in the Sermon on the Mount whenever we went through our last series because I knew this was coming. But at at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, here's Jesus' summary statement in Matthew chapter 7. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into, what's the word? Practice. It, It doesn't say everyone who hears these words of mine and takes notes. Or everyone who hears these words of mine and comes back next week for part two, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Do you know how hard it is to build your house on a rock? See, this is is 15-year-old Tim going, you want me to do what? (laughs) I have to wait for how long? You, You want me to give how much? You want me to give what up? I have to forgive them every time. Are you kidding me? That's like, that's like building your house on a rock. Submit to authority? That's something else that I was taught growing up, that, that there's God and there's authorities underneath God that are over me, that God put over me. And when you submit to the authorities over you, it's like submitting to God. And I'm going, yeah, but... Have you seen some of my authorities? They don't have a clue, Lord. And God's going, That's, this, is, this is how I work. I know it doesn't always make sense. I know they're not always going to be perfect, pure authorities. But I work through authority. Yeah, but that's like, that's like building a house on a rock. That's hard. It's difficult. Obey my parents? Tim, one of my parents isn't even a Christian. My parents don't even agree with each other. How do I obey my parents? Don't cheat? Really? How am I supposed to get through school if I don't cheat every now and then just a little bit? That's like building my house on a rock. Jesus says, I know. I know. That's why I made up this little silly story. It's not easy to build a house on the rock. But in the end, the rain came down, the streams rose, The winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Application, the way you get a storm-proof life is by applying, doing, practicing the things that God says we should do. So here's my question. Simple question, probably not a simple answer. What do you need to do 
with what you've heard. Could be what you've heard today. Could be something you heard this week. It could be something you heard years ago that's just stuck in your brain and you can't get rid of it. What do you need to do with what you've heard today? Maybe um, maybe you're new to this and and you just kind of got your foot in the door and you're just trying to figure this out. Maybe today is the first time that you've ever even kind of tuned into church for a really long time and you're just here to, 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 to hear. Maybe the first step for you is to come back next week and just keep hearing. Just keep listening because you need to become a hearer of God's word because you're not even that yet. I'm not going to ask you to believe it. I'm not going to ask you to apply it. I'm just, I'm just saying maybe the first step for you is to be a hearer first. For some of you, um, you've been a hearer for months, maybe years, maybe even decades. And you've been hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing, but arguing and arguing and arguing and arguing and at the same time praying and praying and praying and praying. You, you know what the next step for you is? It's to say, God, I'm not sure I'm willing to do this yet, but I'm going to stop arguing. I'm, I'm going to be intellectually honest enough to admit your law is right. Your way is right. Your law is perfect. I just don't want to do it. So I'm going to stop rationalizing by saying my situation is different and maybe the Greek means something else here and maybe this and maybe that and, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm, I'm done. I'm done with that. You're right. Your word is perfect. I'm just choosing not to do it. At least be intellectually honest enough to admit that to him. But for the majority of us, we're, we're arguing with and we're ignoring God over issues that should have been settled a long time ago. We've heard and believed, and it's just flat out time for us to do it. It's time for us to write that letter. It's time for us to call them. It's time we take responsibility. It's time for us to catch up on our child support. It's time for us that, that, that we ask for forgiveness. It's time for us to give forgiveness. It's time that we have that hard, hard conversation. It's time that we walk into work and admit that we stole the idea from our coworker. It's time to admit that we've been a lousy dad, husband, wife, mother, whatever it is. It's time we start doing God's word. It's time we start applying it. And and when you do, Jesus and James both say, that is when you're blessable. That is when you're blessable. I don't know. I don't know what the next step for you is, but I sure hope you do it. I sure hope you apply what you've heard. Now, next week, we're going we're gonna to look at a passage about doing something that's going to make all kinds of difference, but it's going to make us all kinds of uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's something many of us don't even consider an issue because we've just kind of become numb to it. But I'm praying, I'm asking, I'm hoping we'll listen well enough next week and throughout the rest of this series to what James says and that we wouldn't simply be hearers 
of God's word, but that we would be and become doers of it. So I hope you come back next week. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, continue to to thank you for the opportunity for us to gather in this way. It is certainly not... um, the way that that we want to continue to meet together forever and ever and ever. But God, at the very least, we have an opportunity to come together as a community to to hear from you, even in this kind of 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 an avenue, even in this kind of a medium. And so, Father, would you help us as we've heard from you today, as many of us have heard from you for years and years and years, Would you simply give us the courage to to get up, to shut off the phone, to shut off the TV, to shut off the computer, and do what you've asked us to do? And that may be something that we need to do today. It may be something that we need to do tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. It may be something that we just need to, to create a habit around because we want to be doers of your word, not just hearers of it. God, would you help me with this? Would you show me the areas that I need to do and not simply just hear? Would you convict me? Would you show me? Would you help me to be a doer of your word? Because I know, I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in other people's lives. It's the application that makes all the difference. And so God, would you help us to do that? And we'll give you all the glory because it is you who is at work in us as we apply our faith, a faith that works. I ask this all in Jesus' name.